welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest, Chris Miles. He is the cash flow expert and the quote-unquote anti-financial advisor. He is a leading authority teaching entrepreneurs and professionals how to get their money working for them today. He's an author, podcast host of the Money Ripples podcast, has been featured in U.S. News, CNN Money, Entrepreneurs on Fire, Bigger Pockets, and has a proven reputation with his company, Money Ripples. Getting clients, getting his clients fast financial results. In fact, his personal clients have increased their cash flow by 300 million plus in the last 13 years. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Lance. Okay, good. Yeah. I don't know if there was a delay, but feel free to jump right in. Uh, before we get into exactly what you do, you know, one of the reasons I had you on is like, I feel like you're a contrarian right off the bat because of that title you gave yourself, anti-financial advisor. So that just really, I was like, I got to speak to this guy. Well, before we get into what you do with everything you do at Money <laughs> Ripples and your podcast and everything, tell us how you got here. You know, are you the first of the entre- of, in your family to be an entrepreneur? Where, where does that spirit come from? That's a great point. Um, for my immediate family, a little bit. My mom actually is an artist. In fact, she was trained by the same master painter that trained Bob Ross, you know, the guy with the afro that yep. paints the happy trees and all that stuff. Um, so she was a little bit of an entrepreneur. But I'll tell you, really, for me, I was kind of the first one of like for my dad, who was like very much, you work a job, you get good grades, you, you know, you do the traditional thing, right? That's what you should be doing. But I took more of the entrepreneurial path instead. Okay, got it. Uh why do you, so to jump right into that title again, I just got to hear it. Why do you call yourself the anti-financial advisor? Well, partly because financial advisors kind of suck, right? <laughs> I mean, to put it bluntly, but, uh, but you know, the reason is this is, is I actually started out being a traditional financial advisor. So that was really the first serious business I started doing. And I did that right out of college. In fact, I dropped out of college with one class to go to become a business owner. And so when I went that route, um, I was actually a financial advisor for several years. And then after a while, my dad said, when are you going to sit down and meet with me? When are you going to be my financial advisor? Which was shocking because he was the one that taught me about save everything, spend nothing. He was a total tight wad, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much just put it away and and that's that's what your life should look like. Well, I sat down with him and he said, Chris, I'm 61 years old. I want to retire. I look at his numbers for the very first time in my life. And what do I see? I said, dad, listen, if you want to retire today, you better hope you die in five years because that's how long it'll be before you run out of money. Hmm. Okay, Chris, give me something else. What else can I be doing then? And I said, I don't know. You did everything right because you stuffed that money in your 401k. You paid off your house early. You were totally debt free. And yet it's still not enough. Hmm. And I thought, well, that's not cool. And, uh, and of course, a few weeks later, I'm talking with one of my friends who I trained to be a financial advisor, but then left to go do real estate investing. And he started arguing with me about how real estate's better than stocks. And he finally just stopped me during this, this debate that we had. He said, Chris, how many of your clients are truly financially free where they don't worry about money? And I said, well, none of them. They all worry about money. Even if, they, even if they're retired, they still worry about not having enough. Mm-hmm. He said, okay, Chris, how about this? How many of you guys as financial advisors are financially free, not off the commissions you're earning, but actually doing these investments? 
as I really thought about it, I realized there's been guys working there since the late 1970s and still couldn't retire. What does that tell me? That tells me this, this doesn't work. And so I actually, I actually eventually left being a financial advisor. I quit. I was a mortgage broker, but then I started to learn how to create passive income through investments and things like that to the point where later that year, when I was still 28, almost 29 years old, I was able to retire myself totally financially independent, which nobody in the financial advisor space was doing there in that office. And that's when I realized like, listen, if you, fin if you follow financial advisor's advice, you'll go broke, right? The best way to do it is to do the opposite of what they teach you. Hmm. And that's where I became more the anti-financial advisor when I came out of retirement. Well, what are the, some, what are some of the things that they teach you? I've never had, I'm, I'm one of these people that like, I'll get solicited on LinkedIn and say, no, I'm my own financial advisor. I got to imagine we probably mm -hmm. align a lot on real estate. That's where I, you know, I'm a real estate bug. So I'm sitting in one of my rentals, one of my properties right now, yeah. a commercial property. What do they tell you that's so bad? Well, it's the same thing you hear just in the normal media and everything else, right? Is be cheap, you know, live on rice and beans if you have to, or cut up that latte, right? It's always about being cheap. Yeah. saving, stuffing money. But when they tell you about saving money, it's always your company's 401k or IRAs, you know, some kind of retirement plan, right? Put it away for someday. And then when it comes to your house, when you get a mortgage, pay it off so that someday you'll have no mortgage. You'll have all this nest egg built up. Hopefully, as long as the stock market smiles on you the right way, because it's always stock market related. Okay. And then hopefully someday you'll have enough live on less than the interest right? That's what they're really telling you is to live on less than the interest. So for example, um, one, of my, one of my clients, he actually had a million dollars he saved up in his retirement plan. One of the very few people that's done this, by the way, very, very few people ever save over a million dollars in their 401ks. Uh, in fact, Fidelity, they have, they have over 48 million customers. And of those, only 299,000 have at least a million bucks in them, right? But again, Everybody tells you, you save a hundred bucks a month for 40 years, you'll have a million bucks. That's not true. So anyways, he happened to have a million bucks. His financial advisor says, listen, you have a million dollars. Well, now you can live on 3% a year if you don't want to run out of money. So do the math. You have a million dollars living on 3% a year. You live on $30,000 a year. You just went from millionaire to living below the poverty line in the, at the same time. It's just ridiculous, right? And, and that's the problem. So most people never get to a million dollars. The average 401k is like a hundred grand, barely. Um, but still, you're supposed to live on 3%. It's not enough. Where that same guy, he had a million bucks. He came to us and he said, Chris, can we do something different besides living on 3%? And I said, yeah, we can actually go invest in different varying forms of like real estate. He even got some like we have with some oil and gas people and things like that. He started investing in these different places, apartment buildings, rentals, things like that. And the next thing you know, his million dollars is now kicking off 130,000 a year instead of just 30,000 a year. So that's the big difference, right? Because again, everybody's going to teach you to try to live on less than the interest. They try to help you, you know, live, you know, try not to kill the golden goose, but you're slightly, when you're doing the traditional retirement plan, you're slowly slicing away that golden goose until it's starved to death and then it's got nothing left. That, yeah. That's just not a way to do it. Here and the way he's doing it now, that million dollars. It's kicking off 130,000 a year and it's still never touching the million dollars. Yeah. So, okay. 401k. I, I, I'm with you. It's, I think it's very boring. Uh, if you, if you're a real estate investor, you know that you make money five times in five different ways from one real estate, uh, investment. Um, and we don't have to go into those. I mean, I'm happy to, if you, if you want to, but when, so then, you know, we're steering, if, we're, if the idea is steering away people from the, from the stock market, 
Um, you know, why, like, why do you think they should avoid that? Like, what are the big pitfalls you see? I mean, I heard you say, sort of say like timing and like the, the sun should sign. If you're going to do it that way, the timing has to, has to be like impeccable. You've got to find like this very high, high, you know, but maybe you retire during the low, low, like recession is going to last several years. What are your thoughts about yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, that's what happened to my dad, right? I mean, part of the, the, the headwinds he had was that, you know, when I met with him, Y2K had just occurred. And of course, he decided to put a lot of his money into tech stocks because his coworkers had all these tech companies booming in you know, Y2K, right? So he threw money that direction, lost a ton. Um, and then, of course, right after that, the Great Recession. So we, you, you, you have these ups, but then you have these downs. You have these peaks and valleys. And yeah, if you happen to buy at the very low and then happen to sell at the very high, great. But people usually don't time it that well because you can't control the stock market. You can't predict what's going to happen in the future, really. Um, even even though I actually traded in the stock market, still, I was never 100% correct. Nobody is. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever correctly estimates the stock market correct, perfectly because it just doesn't work that way. It's really legalized gambling. And the problem is, is that long-term, if you were to put your money in the stock market, it's really only average like just under 8% a year, right? Um, on top of that, most people have 401k plans. Even if they put money in, the, in their funds, usually they do less than the stock market average. Mm -hmm. So the stock market does it like about 7.7% a year, but they're really netting like five, maybe 6% if they're lucky. Even if you get a company match, it just doesn't do much for you. And so the problem is that it just doesn't give you enough return. In fact, it just barely keeps up with inflation is what it really does. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Let's say there's somebody, a young, a young person, they're just maybe a cog in the in the machine, so to speak, you know, just like their entry level job, they're just starting out. What would you tell that person about uh, a way that they could find in in that kind of a situation without having, you know, without having to create a new job or business? Like, where can they find the money to start investing in the right way? Yeah, my, my advice is always this is get lean, get liquid and get out. Now, when I say get lean, again, I don't mean you have to live dirt poor, right? I don't mean living in a cardboard box. I don't mean that at all, uh, but it does mean get rid of the expenses that don't serve you and then keep the expenses that bring you joy, right? So if it is getting that latte, great, go get that latte. But if you're spending money on a gym membership, you're not using, get rid of that gym membership, right? So be productive with the money you have. Try to save at least something, even if it's, I don't care if it's five bucks a week, you automatically transfer from your bank account, right? And I mean, automatic where you just set it up. You don't even mm -hmm. have to think about it. Because the great thing is when you do that sort of strategy, you never really mess the money, right? So start to build up that savings. That's part of the getting liquid. Um, if you can get your money liquid and available. So like I said, most advice tells you to lock up your money, throw it in that IRA or that 401k where you can't touch it without getting your hand slapped with penalties and taxes, yeah. right? Don't put your money there. Even if you put in a simple savings account, that's better than nothing at all, or even better than putting in those dumb plans. But then from there, then you can actually go and get it out when you start building up enough cash. I recommend once you get that cash up over $100,000, now you start to have some fun, right? Now, if you're a business owner, there are ways to invest in your own business and things like that to build it up and grow it too. So don't, don't discredit that if you're a business owner that way. But, um, but still, if you're somebody young and getting started, just start to build up that savings. And, and there's cool strategies you can do like infinite banking, um, things like that you can do as well when you're starting out. Um, that can also help you build up your cash and get a better return than point nothing percent at the bank. Um, but that's a whole nother uh, strategy and story right there.
if it, gun to your head, if you could only, if you were telling the audience there's only, and you can only pick one investment to make, what, what would that investment be? How do they start out getting, getting there? And then what, you know, is there a limit to where they should grow it to? Yeah. The answer I'm going to give here, I don't want it to sound cliche and I definitely don't want it to sound like the typical response you hear, but definitely the first, the first place you've got to put your education really is put towards your education. Right. And I don't mean college. Right, because oh. college, we don't even know if that's even producing returns. I yeah. mean, getting educated on financially what is outside of the box, what's outside of the norm, the things that have been proven to work. That's the kind of thing I would put it towards. And there's free resources out there too. Like I have my own podcast, you know, the Money Ripples podcast. There's out there and stuff like that. But, um, but really, like, put your money towards getting educated on what those things are first, so that when you do have the money, then you can start to invest. Um, so always invest in yourself first. You can't, somebody can take money out away from you from the stock market, right? The stock market tank, you could lose money. You can even do real estate and possibly screw it up and lose money. But if you're educated the right way, the great thing is you can't take the education away and it actually helps you earn better returns than you would have just guessing, right? That's what most people are doing. They're just guessing, asking their coworker or their brother-in-law that took that one finance class in college or, you know, or that that friend or neighbor or whatever it might be, they're talking to all these, all these people that really don't know what they're doing either. It's the blind leading the blind. So find those that have been there, done that, still doing it today, and then get educated there. Well, so besides investing in yourself, I love that. Like, and I think podcasts are a great idea for that. There's a lot of them, like the Morningstar podcast is one that I listen to. If I'm ever going to actually go invest any money in the stock market, it's usually, it's usually those guys. And I just glean through like the yeah. last two quarters of those and they have really good picks. Um, and they're pretty safe and it's a good, you know, if you have some extra cash to stuff it away there, that's what I do. And I'm sure, you know, your podcast is, is another good one for that. What, what other, mm -hmm. what, what would you classify as the other best alternative investments then besides 401k, these traditional ones? Yeah. I mean, I mentioned infinite banking is a way to save money. This is not the way to invest, right? It's a way to save and keep your money outside of that. Um, now this strategy, I'm going to say with a, a grain of salt, because there's a lot of infinite bankers out there. I mean, you look on YouTube and they're all over the place, right? Um, most of them are crap. <laughs> and in fact, you know, you hear guys like Dave Ramsey, right? The guy that tells you to live on rice and beans. You know, he does a lot of financial education. Uh, people like him and Susie Orman, they'll all tell you, hey, don't do it. Well, that's because most of the time when those guys do it, they're, ins they're life insurance agents. They're just trying to make more commissions, right? I, I just, I actually disagree with that. Um, I talk about more of like getting a max ROI, like a low cost. If you're going to use life insurance where it has a tax-free savings account tied to it, doing that first. Because the cool thing is, is that if you set up the right way, it actually pays for itself very quickly where it becomes a zero net cost and actually has a net gain that's tax-free return. So it actually pays you better than a savings account would and it's tax-free and it's protected from lawsuits and creditors. Um, that would be a great starting point. Once that starts to build, then investment-wise, um, then I start looking at these alternative investments, like I mentioned, like um, turnkey real estate would be a good example. Some people think when they when they buy a property, you just buy a property in your own backyard. The problem with that is, is that usually you pick wrong, right? Now, there are plenty of people out there that accidentally become wealthy buying real estate, right? They just bought real estate, thought it would be a good deal, and over time, it was a good deal. And that's usually true. But... Um, what I learned from my own bad experiences too, right? Um, early on was that when I try to buy in my own backyard, like I live in the Western half of the United States, all the rentals out here really suck. Okay. 
Um, now, if I look to the Midwest or the Southeast of the United States, rentals are better. But here's the problem. Most people say, well, I don't live out there. Or if that's not even, even if I am in the Midwest or Southeast, it's probably not in my town or my city. Where do I look? How do I find them? Well, if you find a good quality turnkey real estate company, what it allows you to do now is that they find the properties for you. They property manage it for you. So you don't have to become a landlord. You're not dealing with the tenants. You're not trying to find them and fill, the, fill, your, fill your rental or anything like that. They help you find the property. They help you get the financing for it, get a mortgage company or whatever you might need for that. And then they manage the property for you. So you're hands off. That to me, even though it's not purely passive in that mm -hmm. sense, it's semi-passive investing. Um, and I like to look for properties, even though they're more rare today. I like properties that usually pay at least 8 to 10% just on the cash flow after I've paid all my expenses. That doesn't include appreciation, tax benefits, or the fact that the renters pay down my mortgage for me. Mm -hmm. right? So to give you an example, I mean, I have one property I bought in Memphis just five years ago. Already, it's done over 300% return on my money. My $32,000 down payment has already made me over $100,000 between the cash flow and appreciation not even including tax benefits. Yeah. Um, so just that alone is, is, I mean, the market, even with the great swing that it had after 2020, still can't even compete with that. Not even close. Not to mention the cash flow I make on that property is $7,500 a year versus if I put that same 32,000 stock market, it'd be paying me like 1500 a year. So I'm making five times more in the stock market anyways. Yeah, yeah. And the compounding effect that it has after a while is pretty amazing. Uh, one of the properties I bought in yeah. 2020, it, it's our, it's a it's a 150% uh, return on the cash already. It's it's just incredible. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. thank you Federal Reserve for printing doubling the money supply. That certainly helped. <laughs> but uh, but I'm with you. Like that's the only way you can keep up with you can beat inflation actually. You know because it's those other five yeah. tiers for that. How do you how do you vet investments? You know what are some just some basic strategies that people listening to this show if they 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 turn off the show they're ready to start getting liquid and thinking about investments, how do they vet them? You know, the best way to vet them is, I've noticed the birds of a feather flock together. Having a good community of people around you that actually have good integrity, right? Because now buying your own property, that's one thing, because you own it and control it. Even if you have somebody property manage it for you, you still own and call the shots. The risky part of investing that gets worse or could be worse is if you invest with somebody else. Because the great thing is in passive investing is that you don't have to be the one finding these deals and dealing with that kind of crap. You could actually be the one that says, hey, that guy has got an apartment complex that look, the numbers look good. They're doing all the work, but I want to be able to put my money in and share in the profits, right? Or maybe they pay me, maybe I lend my money to them and they pay me an agreed upon return of like 10, 11 or 12% a year that I get paid like on the bank, right? There's different ways to do that. Uh, I even mentioned like oil and gas, right? There's all kinds of ways you can do it. The key thing, the one common denominator though, is it's not about what you're investing in that's so important as it is about who you're investing with. The who is much more important than the what. Because I've seen, and maybe you have too, I mean, there's times when you see people say, hey, I've got this apartment deal, or I got a self-storage type of complex here. And, and you know what? The self-storage unit is going to pay between, you know, about 18% you know, return over time and things like that. And they all look about the same. They almost look like they just took a stamp and copied all their paperwork off of each other, right? They all say 15 to 18%, you know, like that's always like the typical thing you see. Well, the problem is that just because they say the numbers are there doesn't mean they can deliver on it. Mm -hmm. So when I look for people, when I'm vetting those people, I like to know one, 
Have they been through a full market cycle? Meaning, have they been investing at least since during or before the last great recession? Hmm. So really, do they have at least 15 years experience doing that very investing? Um, one thing is dangerous. I know I had I knew a guy that was great in the real estate game, been doing it for about five years. It's not perfectly experienced, but he was knowledgeable. But then he decided to go into the oil and gas space. So I remember him coming to me saying, hey, this is a great deal. You can make like 25% a year off this technology. And I said, you know, it sounds good, but you're brand new in this. So why don't you, uh, you know, basically get your teeth kicked in a few times, you know, and over the, the several years or so, maybe the next decade. And if you're still doing it, great. Maybe I'll take a look at it. Well, guess what? That guy has now been shut down by the SEC. Ended up, he, mm. you know, the business is completely insolvent and now they're filing for bankruptcy, right? So it's not about the investment deal. And yes, there were people that were getting paid 25% a year for the last couple of years. But once everything dried up, boom, it was gone. So when I get people in the real estate space say, oh, I've been doing this since 2017, 2018. Oh, good job. And I've made this much money. I'm like, well, good job. Everybody, including every idiot, made money in real estate since 2018. You didn't have to be a genius or rocket scientist to do that. The real question is, when things get worse, what do they do? Do they still have the ability to pivot and move and adjust and still protect your money that's being invested? Yeah, I love that. Uh, just just that simple metric of, okay, have they been in business for over 10 years? Have they been doing this for over 10 years? Because it, it reminds me of like, you know, the, the old adage of, well, a startup, every business, most businesses fail within the first seven years. So I think this is once you get right. past year 10, it's sort of the same thing with, with these sort of investments and everything. I'm going to go back to the, the mortgage part of this where your dad paid off his mortgage. He did all the right things, like you said, like the fundamental right things, like sort of the boring Dave Ramsey crap that I hear all the time, rather than uh -huh. like using debt to lever leveraging debt to make you more wealthy in, in a certain way. Like, what is your opinion about somebody who is just really focused on like making like double mortgage payments, if they could afford it, double or triple mm -hmm. mortgage payments, you know, paying down that principal quicker on their primary versus what if they save that money and they started buying more rental properties, you know, long-term, like it sounds like maybe the rental part because you're multiplying it more might be the better investment overall. Like I, mean, but by all means, we're not giving exact advice here. We're just talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. There's my disclaimer. There. Yeah. We're not giving investment advice, but it really does come down to stewardship, right? How wise of a steward or investor are you? That's the key because, you know, for example, if someone is just gamble with their money and mm -hmm. they're going to try to pull equity out of their house, for example, and try to gamble with it, mm -hmm. you know, that may not be a good thing. They might be better off just paying off their mortgage. But for those that say that have maybe, you know, maybe they've got a little bit more education. They know what to do with that money. Man, there are so many better options. So give you an example. I mean, right now they say that 80% um, of homeowners now have a mortgage that's less than 4% a year, right? So their interest rates 4% or less which is why nobody's wanting to buy properties right now because you have to pay almost 7% right now. Mm -hmm. Well, that 4%, what most people don't realize, and I, and I did an episode called The Miracle of Simple Interest. Um, in the episode, I talk about the numbers. There's simple interest, and then there's compounding interest. So compounding interest is when money's increasing over time. So if you have you know, $10,000 in the bank, you make 5%, you now have 10,500, that's now making 5%. So you're making a little bit more than 500 bucks that next year, right? Well, simple interest, which is what all your loans are, right? When you're paying at least principal or at least interest only payments, simple interest means that interest goes down over time. 
So here's the problem, right? There's two things. There's the numbers, and then there's the personal feeling of safety, is that people, when they start throwing all this equity in their house, you actually put yourself at higher risk than somebody else. Mm. Because what you're doing is you're giving all the money to the bank. Now the bank has your money. Well, when, when you need that money again, can you get it back? And the answer is no, because the bank, the banks never want to give you money when you need it. They only want to give you money when you want it, right? And, and I found this out in the last recession. The last recession, I did that very strategy. I was putting extra payments towards my mortgage because I was a mortgage broker. And in 2006 and 2007, I knew I could get money out of my house whenever I wanted to because mm -hmm. they gave everybody a loan. Anybody with a heartbeat, you can get a loan, right? Mm -hmm. So I just figured, well, I'm going to throw the money into my equity of my house, pay down my mortgage like a good boy should. And then if I ever need the money, I can always just pull it back out, get a, get a loan for it. Well, when 2007 hit, and in fact, in fact, it was the summer of 2007 when things started to shift, but it was very subtle. Nobody talked about it, but I saw it firsthand because I said, hey, I'm starting to see some changes here, especially in the real estate space. I need to get my money out. And the bank said, oh, you know what? We just changed the rules yesterday. Why don't you get your credit score up two more points, and then we'll talk next month. I go in the next month, August 2007. Mm -hmm. I said, let's do this. And they said, your credit score looks great. But you know what? We have now three things you got to jump through. These mm. hoops you got to jump through to do this. And then September rolls around. I did everything they asked. And they said, I'm sorry, we don't do any more cash out refinances. And then that's when all the, the chaos started happening. That is a risky place to put your money is equity in your house because you have to ask for permission to get back to it. I would much rather have the equity outside of my house in my possession that I'm, not even if I'm investing it, even just having it in my hands is more is safer than putting it with the bank where I have to ask for that money back. Um, just so you know, flash forward, because things got so bad, I actually ended up losing that house because mm. the equity was trapped into it. Prices came down. I could even, The bank was Lehman Brothers that had my mortgage, by the way. They would not let me even sell the property. So um, eventually I had to end up foreclosing on that property. I lost it. I lost all that equity that I had trapped in there. Yeah. So- First and foremost, have money liquid. That's why I say get liquid. And then you can then you can take that money and then get out and invest it. If you know where to put it, that's safe. And yes, um, if you have a 4% mortgage, for example, the interest rate you need to at least earn compounding on your money is about 1.8%. That's all you have to earn to match the interest you'll pay on that 4% mortgage over time. That's the crazy thing. Simple and compounding interests are not the same. Mm -hmm. So you don't even have to earn the same interest rate. Now, granted, you know, it doesn't take much common sense to say if I'm earning 4% and I make 10%, I'm making money. That's yeah. what the banks do to us all the time, right? When they take your money, they borrow money from you. They go into debt to you by taking your savings money and then using that money to go and loan out to other people, making a higher rate of return, a higher interest rate. You can do the same thing if you're wise with your money. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story, particularly, about, you know, your anecdotal look house that you, you'll end up losing and everything that that's one of the paint pictures I've, I've yeah. tried to paint, but I think you put it better than I ever could have appreciate that. Chris, this has been great. Uh, I really appreciate your, your insight. I like that you are the anti-financial advisor and the angles you're coming from. I hope people will check out your podcast. Um, two questions as we run up on the half hour here that I ask every guest last first one is knowing what you knowing what you know now. And if you could go back in time to when you first started your business and, and doing what you do now, what is one piece of advice you give your former self? I would say this, the thing that cracked the code for me and be able to make more money than I've ever made in my life was stop thinking I have to lose for other people to win. Instead, focus on the question of how can I create more value for more people? How can I serve people, solve problems or add value in a way 
that money is just a natural exchange for that, mm. that service or for that value. Once I focus more on value, instead of just asking myself, how do I make more money? Right. Cause that's a bad question. People have asked that for years and still yeah. don't make more money, but how can I serve people and solve problems, create a win-win so that people want to pay me more money. That is the real secret to success with money. Beautiful. Chris, this has been great. Uh, where can people find and follow you if they want to learn more? Yeah, you can always go to moneyripples.com for a lot of information there. Or you can also follow our podcast or our money, our YouTube channel, Money Ripples. Beautiful. Chris, thanks again. We wish you all the best. Uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you so much.